This is Ethan Levy, and you're listening to Quarter Spiral's Game Dev Life Podcast. If you're sitting at a boring job, secretly dreaming of someday joining the Game Dev Life, then Christopher Jeffrey should be your hero. He started off in school making flash games in his spare time, but really hit the jackpot when he took the plunge and ported Space's key to iOS. Before long, the game was making enough money that he was able to quit his accounting job to pursue game development full-time. We were part of the same Flash game developer circles and met virtually after I started tweeting about the Super Indie Pals podcast, and he suddenly became my number one Twitter fan, as measured by favorites and retweets. It was clear from our online interactions alone that we'd get along well, but this podcast was my first excuse to talk to Chris for longer than 140 characters. Chris, for for people listening, uh, how might those on the interweb know about you? Um, so yeah, like you said, uh, my name is Chris Jeffrey. Um, I go by Chris Jeff Games. Um, obviously, personal branding is really good, so it's good to get that in there. People might know me for Spaces Key primarily. Um, that's probably the biggest game that I've, I've done. Um, but people may know me for Platcore and the games that I'm working on now, which I generally tweet a lot, quite a bit about. Cool. So you started as a flash game developer correct i did yeah and uh how did you get into that all the way through school since i was probably like maybe 11 or 12 um i've always played flash games um and every time we got like computer time we were supposed to work i ended up just playing on like mini clipping sites like that flash games have always been like a really big thing however i've never really looked into them that much until like i think it was about 2006 when i was in college which is funny enough the time that I actually started Mochi London too. But in college, I, I was just messing around um, in free time when, when I got a chance to go on the computers and kind of picked up Flash. And I learned to code pretty much just specifically to make Flash games and just make little silly games of that, which ended up getting passed around college and people ended up playing them. Um, and I ended up just thinking, like, I think I'm, I'm, thinking I'm onto something here. Um, and then he ended up getting a first, uh, first sponsorship in, like, I think it was 2007, I think. And yeah, kind of kind of made me think there's there's a lot more there's a lot more to this than just kind of making little games like I can actually step up and go a little bit further so I kind of I kept it on um, until about two years ago when I actually quit my full-time job and then started making games full-time oh wow so what um, well actually let me ask you first what was who was the first sponsorship with and roughly how much what, what game was it for and you know how how meaningful was it Okay, so it was a game called Scramble. It's kind of a top-down, tile-based uh, marble game. And you're a little ball, um, and you roll around the levels and get from A to B, really, and dodge all the stuff. And this was sponsored by Big Fish Games. I think back in the time, I think it was about it was about 2.5K, I think I got for it. Oh, wow. Um, and I was in college, um, which is like, I think it's like high school um, over in the States. So I was like 16-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was quite a bit of money then. That's that's when I was thinking. I was like, "There's there's more there's more to this than actually than actually I'm picking up." <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really good sponsorship for someone who's 16. It, it was okay for the time, yeah, for sure. And uh, you said that there was a point at which you quit your job. Was it two years ago, full time? Yeah, it was two years go? ago. Yeah. What convinced you to make that switch over to full time indie game developer? Well. Uh, I'd love to say it's all because of the love, um, but it, as much as it was the love, um, and I really love making games, it was kind of, 
it's kind of like a board of the job. Um, I was an accountant, um, so I was doing a lot of accountancy um, and like finance stuff for a company. During the day, like during breaks and stuff at work, I'd be like, I'd be sitting like drawing little game design documents and kind of drawing levels for a game that I was working on. It's kind of, I was thinking like, I'm not, I'm not enjoying it where I'm at. And that was kind of off the back of Spaces Key um, Mobile as well. Mm-hmm. So that done pretty well on iOS, um, and I was making quite a bit of money, more than I was pretty much making where I was working. And that was just part-time making the games, like on a weekend or on a nighttime when I had the time. Um, so I kind of just thought, like, what happens if I just make that leap, kind of make that leap of faith and just do this full-time and kind of see where I end up from there? Got it. So you had uh, released games, gotten sponsorship, ported Spaces Key to mobile, released <laughs> it, and seen it successful enough to tell your uh, accounting job goodbye. Exactly. That's pretty much it. So for anyone who's listening who's in a boring job just wishing they could become a game developer, it can happen. It can. Just do it at the end of the day. Like Even if you've got those couple of hours a week, kind of just sit down and make a game and eventually it'll push you. Let's talk a little bit about going from Flash to mobile because I think that's the transition a lot of people know they have to make but are maybe a little afraid of it yeah. so when did you first think it would be fun to put spaces key on mobile um so yeah that was that was probably about two years ago actually off the back of spaces key um i was getting a lot of emails um of fans and stuff saying like this would be awesome for the iphone um i actually didn't have an iphone like i've always been a been an android user and i thought like why not? It makes sense. At the end of the day, it's a one-button game, um, which can convert to just a, a tap really easy. So I thought, let's let's try this. Mm-hmm. Let's. Why don't you describe Spaces Key for anyone who hasn't played it? So Spaces Key is pretty much um, a one-button game. Um, it's kind of an action game, um, and you're a little cube, um, and you press space to jump, um, and you've got to jump over little obstacles and stuff, and the game gets really infuriating. Um, and it's got narrative that goes along with the game um, which I think um, MTV Addicting Games described as um, getting advice from a mildly annoying friend. (laughs) I think it's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, when I first played Spaces Key, I think I was was really impressed with the amount of personality in a game that it's visually very minimalistic. Mm. Um, I really liked the color schemes and how the color schemes kept changing and it was just like for for a square that jumps and picks up stars, it really had a lot of personality. No oh, thanks. So the game was doing successful. People were asking for a mobile version. Technically, uh, how did you decide to uh, port the game over? Um, so I had no experience at all, obviously. Um, never made an app before. So um, I contacted a few people that I knew. Um, and Air, I, tried, I tried messing around with Air back two years ago. Air wasn't really good. Um, it isn't as it is now. Um, so like, I, I tried it, and Air was really sluggish. So I thought, let's do it natively, um, which was a big mistake because, <laughs> yeah, um, Objective-C wasn't, wasn't too good. So I kind of regret doing that. Um, but, yeah, I did it natively two years ago with Objective-C. And was the problem that as a self-taught Flash game developer, your skills didn't transfer over so easily, or what what issues did you encounter? Completely. So that, that, that's pretty much the issue right there. Um, I'm self-taught. Um, 
I learned I learned action script just to get into making games. Like it wasn't I wasn't a programmer or anything before that. It was kind of I learned to program purely to make games. Um, so that was kind of an issue there. But I guess just cracked on for a month and kind of messed around with stuff and got and got it up and up and running. Part of me wonders when I go to things like Mochi and talk to game developers who are still doing Flash and there's still hesitancy moving to mobile. I wonder how much of that is just fear of picking up a new language. Because yeah, I know I think, some Flash game devs are still using AS2. Yeah, I think I think a lot of a lot of people will be be scared to move over because yeah, it's it's a comfort zone, isn't it? Like you've been working in Flash for however long, you're kind of you're comfortable doing that. But like as the as the Flash player kinds to shake a little bit and become unsure on where the future is, kind of some people might ride it out. I think I think that there could be a lot of developers that kind of just ride it out because they're kind of scared to move to a different platform. So when you went to, how long was it between doing Spaces Key on iOS and Spaces Key on Android? I think it was maybe a couple of months. I mean, maybe six months, I'd say, maybe. Mm-hmm. And did you do it native? Was it native on Android as well? What, the version that I've just released? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not native anymore. Um, I, the game got completely rewritten with Air. Okay. Um, so that's, that's using, using Air. Um, so I could target iOS and Android. Got it. I didn't so, want to do anything native anymore. <laughs> so nowadays, um, Air has progressed far enough that for a game like Spaces Key, it was pretty seamless to put it on the two platforms. Completely, it was nothing. Um, yeah, I think Air is definitely at that point now where it's kind of it's it's worth using. Got it. So anyone who's a Flash game dev who's been afraid of 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 it because of those early. I remember the first time anybody exported something we were working on to Air. For, for mobile, it was like half a frame a second. Like, <laughs> Dragon Age is never going to mobile. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I guess now now it's not at that stage. I think it's it's at a really good stage, and yeah, it's it's getting it's getting good performance. Cool. Now let's talk a little bit about um, marketing the game because you know in the Flash world, you just kind of put it up on one of three or four sites, and everyone else will pick it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, the iOS is significantly different. So what was it like releasing your game on the iOS app store? So yeah, like, as you said, it's it's two different worlds. Um, yeah, it can be a bit scary at first um, because you've got, you've got a Flash game that literally you don't, there's no such thing as marketing. <laughs> like, you just throw your game out there and kind of, if it's a good game, it'll, it'll get everywhere and it'll kind of, it'll get in front of everyone's eyes. But with iOS, it's like, it's the complete flip side of things. To some extent, like a good game sells itself, like for sure. But on iOS, like, you've definitely got to market. You've got, got to definitely push your product out there and kind of, it all relies on reviews. Like you've got to get people to, to review your app and get it in front of people's eyes or sadly it's it's not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So what did you do when you, um, when you launched? Um, so the first time I launched two years ago when I just done the, uh, the iPhone version, um, I contacted a few sites and kind of asked them to review nicely. Um, but I didn't actually do like a big blast. Um, I kind of picked a few. So there was like Touch Arcade, Pocket Gamer. I even contacted like GameSpot UK um, mm-hmm. and a few sites like that. And kind of those guys were really into it and they ended up uh, publishing reviews. And then all the smaller reviewer sites ended up picking up and doing it. Um, so we actually, actually got a really good launch initially. Two years later, with kind of the re- with the re-release or releasing on Android, did you find it to be a different marketplace? 
Um, yeah, it, it feels so. Um, it feels a little bit different, um, and it feels different, like because it was all. It's already it's already on Android uh, on iOS, so iOS just got a big update that allows you to use it on your iPad and uh, like a new blast of new content. So I think like kind of reviewers were kind of a little bit a little bit hesitant to review it purely because it was already out there. It's got a little bit of a little bit of review, but it's, it wasn't exactly a big launch again. Success has its downsides, and along with the success of Space's Key has come a number of people trying to exploit Chris. His experience dealing with people straight up cloning his game, as well as shady reviewers offering to give Space's Key exposure for an upfront payment will be familiar to any number of small-scale game developers. I'm curious, you know, following your Twitter feed, it seems like there's been a lot, there are a lot of people out there somehow looking to exploit the mobile game market. Um, <laughs> one, one thing that I know you had to deal with was uh, a pure clone of your game arriving yeah. on an alternate platform. Yeah, completely. Um, I've had a few clones, actually. I think in total, um, about four or five clones on iOS and only one clone on Android. Um, but the Android clone was by far the uh, the biggest one. Um, that, that game ended up getting um, about, I think it was about 1.5 million downloads. Um, and it ended up getting into the like top three. And it was it was literally the worst clone of Space's Key ever. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not even an easy game to clone. Like... <laughs> It's easy to clone, like it's a simple game, um, and they got that wrong, which like I don't get it, and, and I don't get how it got into the top either, which is just mind blown. How do you find out about a clone of your game, and what do you do once it appears? So I found out about it actually. Um, I got a few emails of fans. Um, thank God, like I've got a website, and kind of people will go to it and they'll contact me through it, which has been a big savior uh, quite a few times. But actually, um, I think it was like three o'clock in the morning, and I was just lying in bed looking through my phone, and I was like, I clicked free games, and I was like, huh, this game looks pretty similar. I clicked on it, and I was like, hang on, this is Space's Key. <laughs> so like, and I was ready to go to sleep, so like, I had to launch the laptop up and kind of throw Google some emails trying to get them to take it down. Um, <laughs> but Google are really slow. Um, I think they took about a month to take it down. Um, wow. Which sucked because that game kept on um, kept on snowballing and getting more and more downloads. Right, um, just this huge. That sucks so much. Yeah, it was. It's it's horrible. Like, yeah, it was. It's horrible. And th the thing is, like, I couldn't release Space's Key out there because that game was there. That game was in the charts. Um, and obviously, I didn't want to release Space's Key because people would be like, "Oh, hang on, Space's Key is a clone of that game," when it's right. completely not that way. I'm curious, have you gotten any emails now that it's on Android? Why did you clone um, Space Jumper or whatever it was called? I think it was called, like, oh, what's it called? It was called, like, Tap Magic or something. It was something silly like that. Yeah. Uh, I haven't, though, no. It's funny, the Tap Magic not. fans out there aren't <laughs> just berating you. Oh, man, that game, though, that game ruined my life for a month. <laughs> um, does Apple respond quicker to very uh, very fast reports? Yeah, um, I got I got clones taken down in like two three days with Apple. After I sent them an email, I ended up getting put in touch with um, someone from their legal team, mm -hmm. um, and they handled they handled everything like a like a pro um, compared to Google. Um, they were much faster, much more 
efficient and responsive than what Google were. Like, I didn't even get anything back from Google um, for the month and a bit. Yeah, Apple were just on the ball. Another thing that I saw was that you get cold calls from people saying they'll review your game if you pay them. Ugh. Not those guys. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I probably lost me cool and ended up, like, uh, ranting on Twitter about it as well. <laughs> so, but, yeah, so many. What what happens for someone that's never happened to? what What is it like? Like... Literally, I've, I can see two emails in my inbox today from people saying like, oh yeah, Space is Key is an awesome game. If you pay me $500, I'll review it. <laughs> like, this actually really annoys me. But like, there's, at the end of the day, like, if I had a marketing budget, um, I'd, I, I could go for this kind of thing because, yeah, these guys will talk good about, good about Space is Key and might get in front of people's eyes that otherwise I wouldn't get in front of. But yeah, I, I don't really have thousands upon thousands to spend on people to type nice words about Spaces Key. Well, when you look at these review sites, do any of them look reputable? Like, are these are these sites that you think actually have followings, or is it just... I, I don't think so. I honestly just think, well, they're just trying to exploit people, like... It's it's purely because all these all the large companies yeah they they have this budget um, and they're looking they they'll throw money around to kind of get people to start talking and hyping up the product. But I think I purely think these 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 other guys have kind of just came in and kind of pretend that they're real, even though they probably like have a few a few hundred people look at the website every so often. If that for only three dollars per person, you can advertise your one dollar game. <laughs> in the form of a review on our website. Oh, I just it's horrible. <laughs> is that is, now is that a new phenomenon or has that been happening the whole two years you've been Yeah, this this happened this happened on the initial release as well. Mm-hmm. Um but it's kinda you just gotta pick and choose. Like I, I really admire reviewers, like I'll use G GS Games as a as a prime example. Like the guys who run that are just phenomenal. Um and I really I really like admire what they do. But like they'll review the game after seeing it. However, there's just these guys. I I won't name any websites, but I'm looking at my emails now, and there's one here. They emailed me and they said like, oh yeah, we we really love the game. Um, we've played it before. Um, they talk about how many visitors they've got. Um, then they asked me for a, a press kit. Um, so I give them something, and then they came back and then they're like, oh yeah, um, you can pay us only 150 for some text review, and then if you pay us 500, we can video review it. Uh, and it's just a load of crap. It's yeah. It me. It's like the payola marketing scheme of of radio. It is. Days of right. your, that's crazy. Are there are there other people trying to exploit you out there in the app ecosystem? Um, in what in what way? I don't know. <laughs> any any way? <laughs> um, I don't. I don't really feel exploited. Like sure, like these people are. They're doing. They've got their own business. They they get money paid money to do reviews and stuff and fair to them like at the end of the day i'm either not going to respond or tell them to go away mm-hmm. um but like i don't really think anybody else is i mean it, it's the nature of kind of it's kind of this this game industry anyway like a lot of people are trying one up here anyway and kind of take your product and kind of make their own and i think that's probably the most dangerous thing um out there like people just completely taking your game and releasing it f- on their own brand yeah so you talked before, you said that um, Android versus iOS, that Google was much slower to respond to clone reports than Apple has been. 
Um, what other ways have you found the two companies different or the two marketplaces different? It does pain me to say it, but um, like the iOS is definitely the better market. Um, the, the, the different in loads of ways. Um, down to personally, I think um, like the downloads. Um, I'm finding like it's it's way 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 bigger of a market on iOS. Like a daily downloads, I'm getting way way more on iOS compared to Android, which is kind of just trickling in. Um, and then even down to like um, putting the game out there, like. Apple will really look into the game and kind of they'll test it um, and then it could take like a week before you give them the thumbs up to release it. Whereas on Google Play, as much as it's easy, you kind of just throw the game out there. But I think being able to throw the game out there kind of leaves the gate open for all these guys that are going to come in and they can steal your game. Um, so Apple's a much more powerful market. The regulation... Yeah. Have they found any bugs that you didn't know existed that you're like, oh, thanks, Apple? <laughs> uh, no, no, they haven't, actually. Um, but Samsung have. Samsung did that. Uh, they did it like, oh, what was it? I think it was a week or so ago. Um, I'm, re I'm releasing Spaces Key on um, on the Samsung market with um, with Chilingo. Mm -hmm. um, and I give uh, Samsung the build, and they, they played it on a load of different devices. I'm sure like, they play it on every single device that I say that it could work on. Because it took them a long time, mm -hmm. um, and then they came back and they said that um, I think they sh they sent me a video which was pretty cryptic, um, which was like there was no words in it or anything. I think it's a language barrier thing, and um, <laughs> they record they record the game, and um, you can see some like hands moving over the screen and doing some kind of signals and stuff. Is there like uh, a film grain effect and like heavy <laughs> breathing, just like? <laughs> <laughs> There was no, there was no audio, because I showed it, I showed, I showed it to some friends, and they were like, "Well, you've just, you've just watched this video without audio," and I was like, "No, they're doing hand signals." I was listening. There's nothing there. Um, but they, they, um, they played the game, and then just suddenly like quit out of it, and they noticed that um, when you go back in, it didn't save, mm -hmm. um, which is a little bit of a bug. So I'm actually pushing out a fix for that, and then. <laughs> So they found uh, something, at least. I've, I've, I've just been struck with inspiration. I'm going to quit my life as a game developer and start making, like, a new version of Saw. This is just <laughs> the opening. It's just this crazy, cryptic gameplay video. That's awesome. You have to do the hand signals, though. <laughs> you have to be in front of the camera, and um, you have to be really cryptic. Like, if I can't guess what they are, then that's perfect. Right. Um, so is this part of the 100% indie? It is, yeah. Promotion, and so the game's not out yet. It's not out yet. No, um, I'm gonna hopefully tonight maybe send Samsung the new build, and then kind of wait for them to play it, and hopefully it gets it gets out there soon because I'm really excited to get it out there with with 100% indie guys. Awesome. I'm yeah. I feel like uh, in a couple uh, months we should do a follow up to hear how the 100% indie promotion went for you. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Because it seems it seems really interesting for for anybody who doesn't know, um, Samsung and Chilingo have a partnership where for some period of time, if you release games on the Samsung App Store through the 100% Indie partnership, they take no revenue cut. Hopefully, I don't know what the downloads will be like on the Samsung Marketplace, but it'll be interesting to see if you get some promotion and if overall you get more revenue out of that than the Google yeah. Play Store. That's the thing as well. Like it's 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 an it's a market that I haven't I haven't put anything out before on. So it's really interesting for me. Like I love stats and I love seeing how how different markets compare to each other. And 
it's really interesting to see how it's how it's going to do hopefully and your game is on the amazon um store as well right it is yeah how does the how does being on the amazon marketplace compare to just the general google play marketplace personally like from what i've seen um when i'm getting in downloads it's kind of a little bit slower than google play mm-hmm. um yeah kind of just just a little bit slower than google play really um i mean the good thing that i could do with amazon is um i was allowed to make the game free um because for the first week of launch i wanted all the markets to have the game for free to kind of encourage people to come in um however on google play you can't do that so amazon and the app store were free yet google still cost throughout wow i didn't realize that google doesn't let you drop the yeah. drop you can't yeah you can't you can't drop the price below 50 pence um for gbp and if you make it free it's free forever and you can't change it back so i was stuck i was stuck with an app that like i'm charging tier 1 price for anywhere um so i could have i could have dropped it by like 9 pence which is what like 20 sets that's it i could have right. just dropped it by that and that's all i could have done i noticed the game got a it so it wasn't a free app of the day promotion it was somebody picking up that you had dropped the price for a week yeah okay what sort of impact did that have on your chart positions and on your sales after you uh turned the game to paid it's happened a few times um i noticed that um when when the game goes free um even if i do it for a, like a day afterwards um i get a real big spike in traffic um but yeah um it's usually every time i make a free it usually gets featured by the guys at um apps gone free mm-hmm. um and yeah i noticed that the the uh, the position in the store went really high um i've i've got analytics here i can quickly boot it up and have a look but i'm sure um i i hit um it was featured um it was actually featured in a couple of stores around the world um i believe in the uk it got to 150 on the hot games on the featured page and i think the highest um the highest position in the charts for free um i got i think it was about 60 in the uk which was pretty good um and i'm not sure about other things this internet's running really slow So overall, um setting your app free for a limited period of time seems to be a good way to boost revenue afterwards and just boost the number of the awareness of the game overall. Yeah, definitely like if 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 the app's got a lot of reviews, I think um I think these guys who who push the free apps kind of are more inclined in in pushing your app. And literally you can you can be pulling in over 10k a day in downloads um easily um if your app's free. and it kind of tails off after a couple of days but yeah. obviously since those people are seeing that um it's still on that website and stuff um so once you make a pay that really you're still getting in some of that traffic that are looking for the free game and kind of just buy it instead what have been the biggest surprises about moving from the flash ecosystem to the mobile ecosystem there hasn't been there hasn't been too many surprises like they they are similar um in a, in a, in a lot of ways like you're still going to get these one out of five reviews um for someone saying that something didn't work on their device um which obviously you'll find in flash if you go on any if you go on any portal and you do something wrong someone's going to one out of five yeah right i'm um, on a mobile connection in prussia <laughs> exactly <laughs> right like this isn't working game won't load one <laughs> yeah i i don't even have a touch screen this isn't working it's like oh come on like <laughs> I actually had something like that there was some guy on the uh, on Google Play 
he had this font that I've never even heard of, and he gave me a one out of five because it doesn't work. And he just says that it has a blue screen light. He doesn't even help. Right. Um, and like, I've never even heard of his phone. Like, I can't even repeat what it is because I don't know what it is. But yeah, like this between Flash and between mobile, there there are a lot of things similar. But I wouldn't say anything's really surprised me. Um, I don't think I've been too surprised. Speaking of reviewers, do you ever are you able to have a dialogue with people who give you reviews? Do you ever like write that, send them messages, or try and fix their problems and boost your review scores? Because you said it it sounds like getting reviews on your game every time you update is really important for generating new sales. That if people is, yeah. don't see a hundred four star reviews, that they're not as inclined to buy. Yeah. Um, so like it's exactly the way that I, I, I approach it in flash games. Um, generally if I, if I release a game, like, um, within the first week, I usually look through a lot of those reviews on, on different websites. Um, I'll use armor games, for example. Um, usually if I've worked with Dan and the game gets exclusive for armor games, usually in that first week while it's just on their website, I'll kind of, I'll tweak the games and I'll, I'll listen, I'll listen to the, uh, to the audience a lot more. Um, so I guess same can be taken for for mobile. Like I'll still I'll still look at reviews and kind of if people have got really valid points, I'll definitely look at them um, and trying to approve, uh, trying to uh, fix things. But like as far as far as reaching out to them, um, I think it's it's pretty hard um, on on iOS. I don't think you have like a an easy form of contacting them. And same with same with Google uh, Google Play. Um, I don't think I've got any way to actual actually contact or like reply or anything back to them but definitely I'll, I'll listen to the reviews and kind of take everything on board because at the end of the day they're the guys playing it they're the guys that are going to buy it as well so they've got an important voice and actually you'd said before you're really into analytics i'm curious at all if you use in-game analytics um to improve the uh difficulty curve on space's key and especially because for those who haven't played it, the game is difficult on purpose. Like, it's very hard. Yeah. So um, the things that I would generally do with analytics, which are figure out where the difficulty spikes are and try and smooth them out, you might not even want. The difficulty spikes are definitely on purpose. <laughs> but, um, like, um, as, far as, as far as analytics, like, um, yeah, I used, um, I used Playatomic on the first two games. Mm-hmm. But um, obviously, Playtomic went went under in the end, which kind of sucks because it was a it was a nice website. Um, so those first two games, um, yeah, I was getting I was getting data from them and kind of kind of fine tuning things. And any 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 uh, any level that like you see a player on for too long, like if it's like some levels are definitely intentionally hard, but if they're on those levels for too long, then definitely they need looked at and kind of kind of brought down. Um, that's what I've used in the past, but up until now, kind of, there hasn't been a level that hasn't used Playtomic. Mm-hmm. But now I don't have that anymore. <laughs> right. For your next game, are you going to do a simultaneous Flash and mobile release, or will it be one first than the other? Um, I do. I've, I've spoke about it before. Like, I really do want to do a simultaneous launch, um, purely because I know that Flash games drive a lot of sales to your app. Um, because Spaces Key 2 had a link to the App Store um, in there, and it drove a lot of sales. So I think it'll be nice to get them both at the same time and kind of hit that peak fast instead of at a different time in its life cycle. 
Chris is something of a game development renaissance man. In addition to making his own games, he is one of the main organizers of the Mochi London Conference. He also records the Super Indie Pals podcast along with fellow hosts Jim and Jay Armstrong. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit. You are involved with the Mochi London Conference. Is that correct? Um, so what, uh, for people who don't know, what is the Mochi Conference and what do you do for it? So Mochi London is a two-day event in London, um, pretty much geared towards um, anybody in the industry. Um, and it's bringing, it's bringing a larger event to those guys. So say, let's use uh, Flash Gaming Summit, for example. Um, it's bringing that kind of big model, but to a smaller scale in London. And it started in 2006, I'm still going to say, or maybe 2007. Sure, it was about that. I was in college, I'm positive. Um, but it started between a few guys, um, mainly Ernesto. Uh, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. Quisada, I think. Um, but he's a really good friend of mine. And when I started making games... Um, so was... good a friend, you can't pronounce his last name? Yeah, man, I can't pronounce that name. I seriously, if he's listening now, right, he'll he'll laugh because I've asked him so many times. I just can't pronounce his last name. If it if it makes you feel any better, one of the two co-founders of Quarter Spiral for a year, I called him Thorben before learning that in German there's no th sound. Yeah, there's no soft th. That's and I've been mispronouncing his name for about a year. And he said, don't worry, you can't make the noise properly anyways, so just live with it. <laughs> so we're in the same boat on that? Yeah. So, so yeah, we, we started it off um, on the Mochi forums, and there was a few people. Um, we had a friend from Nitrome that turned up, and um, Robert James, who's known as Robot Jam, mm -hmm. um, turned up. I think there was about five of us, um, and we, we just got drunk and talked about games pretty much. And kind of <laughs> all, all the, the way through... <laughs> yeah, that was the first Mochi London. I think there's about six of us, and we just got really drunk on a boat and talked about <laughs> games. <laughs> That's where it all started. It's got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, and, like, all the way through that, like, yeah, we, me and Ernesto really wanted to kind of make something a lot more bigger. Um, and I think it took two years, two years later from that, um, which is, yeah, two years ago, I'm going to say. Like, this is the third Mochi London now that Mochi got involved. So two Mochi Londons ago, um, I reached out to Mochi um, and they loved the event and they really wanted to get involved, which is awesome. And kind of, they helped us curate this into a, a much more bigger event while still letting me go ahead and get speakers that I want and kind of running the event as as it is without their input from that, that side. Um, I've only ever... I attend a lot of conferences as a participant and now a speaker. Yeah. Um, you know, if I do a one-hour lecture, it takes maybe 20 to 25 hours to prepare, and mm -hmm. then I can take that around to a bunch of different lectures. But I have no concept for, if you're putting together a two-day event, just how much work is it to put all that together? I, mm -hmm. I imagine it's a lot. Yeah, it's quite a bit. Um, it's a lot of months. Like... Um... The event's on the 21st and the 27th of, uh, the 21st and the 22nd of September, and I'm still doing stuff now. Um, and I think I started doing stuff in probably March, maybe end of February, March. And what are the um, big challenges in putting together a physical event? Because I can imagine you have both the venue 
the speaker yeah. list, the sponsors, um, selling tickets. Like it just it sounds as complex, if not more complex, than a game launch. Yeah, it, it is. It is pretty complex. You're right. Um, there is a lot to do um, for the event, but um, I kind of, I actually, I like, I like doing it. I really like putting the event on, um, and it's really good to hear what people think about the event at the end of the day. Like, I could spend months on the event, and at the end of the day, if someone comes up to me after the event and says that they loved the event, kind of, that just makes it all worth it. Just it, one person, I'll make it all worth it. But there's a lot. There's a lot of things to do. Um, yeah, the speaker list kind of. It's good. It's actually good being a developer um, because a lot of these guys that I get to speak at the event, um, I'm friends with or I've known them before. Um, so it's kind of it's easy to approach them and see if they want to get involved. Um, but yeah, the UK is the UK is re- just full of developers that I'm gonna say they don't really have a, a voice. Like they don't do they don't do talks at conferences or stuff. But most of these are like most of these are big guys with a lot of big games out there and it's it's good to be able to give them the stage for like 45 minutes or whatever they've got because yeah they they don't speak or anything and everyone's usually fascinated by what they've got to say what has been your favorite mochi london talk oh that's a big one hmm i might have to come back on this one um because there's there's a lot of brilliant talks um over the last two years there's been some there's been some amazing talks. So maybe not favorite, but what's what's one or two that stick out as especially memorable in your mind, or where you walked away and thought, "Wow, I just learned a lot." Um, last year's talk, um, Rob Duncan and John Duncan, um, they they got a company called Bad uh, Bad Viking. Um, they made Bad Eggs Online. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a multiplayer game. It's kind of it's kind of like Worms. It's using the Worms kind of gameplay, um, but your little eggs. Um, and they turned that into multi. That's a multiplayer game, and they done a lot of microtransactions in it. And they they divulged quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of inf- what they've done. And that was walking away from that kind of. I really wanted to make a multiplayer game, but I didn't. <laughs> too much work. <laughs> yeah, it's too much work. I don't want to make a multiplayer game. Yeah, what I'd love about, to. What wonder? Oh, um, and any other other talks that uh, stick out? The first year that we did it was there's, there was some really good talks. Um, Ian Lobb, he's done he's done two two talks. Um, he talked at the first one, and then last last year he talked about um, he talked about a game that he's working on, uh, which is Super Gun Kids. Um, which was it's a pretty fun presentation. I was like. I always like seeing him talk. Um, he spoke at um, FGS as well, I think. Yeah, I always find that um, probably the talks where people are revealing real data or real sales figures tend to be some of the most interesting. Yeah, they're brilliant because you, you, you take away so much more from them. What advice would you have if someone was out there and they're on a boat right now drunk with five other game developer friends, of course, listening to our podcast for joy, <laughs> and they're like, we should do... We should do a conference. I'd say do it. Don't call it Mochi London or I'll be coming after you. But <laughs> I'd say I'd say do it. Like, yeah, go for it. At the end of the day, like, yeah. I it was just there was just two of us or a few of us making a little meetup in London. Um and kinda I'd never back when it started, I'd never I'd never think that in a couple of years that we'd get Mochi support and other sponsors support uh, for this year and kinda move forward with a, a, a much larger event. I'd never I'd never think of that. It's 
I guess it's the same as when you're making games as well. Like you can never imagine you'd release a game, a game, and millions of people will play it. But at the end of the day, it just comes down to doing it. Like if you love doing that, just just go ahead and do it. Kinda don't look back. Let's close out. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Super Indie Pals. Hey. Uh, which I'm hoping uh, Super Indie Pals is your podcast along with Jim and uh, Jay Armstrong. It is, yeah. And I'm hoping we can be like the Comedy Bang Bang versus What the Fuck podcast uh, <laughs> indie game developer podcast that about 150 people listen to. That's awesome. I mean, I'm already angry and Jewish, so like <laughs> I've got the What the Fuck thing down. That's epic. <laughs> so, so how did you, how and why did you three uh, decide to start a podcast? So we're, we're pretty good friends. Um, it's, I think m- myself and Jay have known each other for quite a few years. Um, and I think it was this, it last year is Mochi London. Um, I got Jim to speak at the event and he's pretty much the same age as us. And we kind of, we all really clicked as if we were like, as if we'd been best friends for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and like after the event and stuff, we talk a lot in emails and talk a lot in Skype. And I don't know, I think it was me that, that kind of threw it out there. I kind of, I threw the ball to those two and I was just like, so that Javanti making, Javanti making a podcast. Um, and it turned out it was like, yes. So we kind of, kind of got our ideas down and kind of make sure we all wanted to go in that same direction that we're going with it. Um, and kind of spoke to i think we spoke yeah we reached out to dan first and dan said he'd love to get involved dan um, mcneely of dan mcneely games. Of games yeah and, and then we just we went with it so it sounded like the inspiration was just like hey the three of us talk on skype anyways let's yeah. record it <laughs> exactly and we usually say some pretty stupid things on skype and being able to record it just if people enjoy it then <laughs> And um, what do you do? Three have do you feel like you have a goal for the Super Indie Pals podcast or a mission? Like, what are you yeah. trying to accomplish? So I think I think really we've got a voice of um, of of kind of the young people in the industry. Like we've been in the flash industry quite quite a bit, and considering we're still fairly young, um, I think it's good to see like our side of the field. Um, and yeah, I think it's good to have a to give give this give this a voice. So giving giving a voice to a a, a portion of the industry that isn't usually as vo- very similar to London. Yeah, it's London. it's yeah people that just aren't very vocal. Um, yeah. And um, just logistically, we were talking about it before uh, before we started recording. Uh, what what sort of logistic problems involve? Um, three people who don't live in the same city, I'm assuming? Yeah, we're all in different parts of the UK. The logistic problem usually comes from our guest. Um, So far, so far, our guest's always from the States. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's usually a bit of a a pain because we've all got to, I mean, we all work on our own different things, so we've all got to find a time that kind of suits us all. Mm-hmm. And then there's always the the, the fourth person, like the, the guest, um, who's usually from different parts of the world anyway. And we kind of, we've all got to come together at this one time, which sometimes can be a struggle. So what's up, what's up next for you as a uh, game developer slash podcast mogul slash event organizer? Oh um, man, there's so many slashes. <laughs> <laughs> author, are you working on a book? Um, I, I, I might as well. <laughs> I'm doing everything else. Like, yeah, I might as well make a book. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, um, I'm doing a few things at the moment. Yeah, I've always got some stuff on. Um, so at the moment, um, I was making some um, some really hard levels for Spaces Key, which are called Hell levels, um, and these are actually just pretty much challenge levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made a bunch of them, and I thought, why not? Why not release it? Release it on the web as well. Um, so I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw. Um, I think it's like 15 levels out there on the web. Um, hopefully they 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 should be done today actually. Oh wow! Um, so kind of I'll throw them out. Um, and hopefully like that that going back to the the cross promotion thing. Hopefully, hopefully that'll drive sales to the app as well. Um, but on top of that, like if if like if anyone follows me on Twitter, um, they'll know that I work on quite a few things at the same time. So I'm working on actually two other games. One's a platformer puzzler, which is called Above Average Guy, which is about um, which is about a guy who's pretty much just sitting watching TV, mm-hmm. and he gets abducted and taken all the way to Japan to take part in a Japanese game show. <laughs> um, and he's got to kind of he's got to defeat the he's got to go through the whole um, go through the whole process and kind of go back home. Um, which has been really fun, um, but that that's that's been done for a while. Um, that just needs polishing. But working on so many different things, I don't like it because I end up having to like bench a lot of projects. Mm-hmm. Kind of focus on one, um, and yeah, a lot a lot of projects don't get don't get love even if the at the end of the the end of the development cycle. And another game that I'm working on, um, which is a brawler, called There Goes the TV, um, which is about a guy who um, it started off as like which we made it in um, I made it in December like the idea came about in December but um, yeah this got benched in I think it got benched in February um, but it was it was supposedly supposed to be for the end of the world and there was the whole idea is I think it was sometime in December when a, a meteorite was going to strike us some end of the world kind of kind of deal um, and I wanted to make fun of that. Um, so it was the end of the world. However, no one was going to die. What was going to happen is all electrical appliances were going to come to life. <laughs> so you're a guy, you're a guy in his street, literally fighting fridges, uh, TVs, um, toaster ovens, <laughs> lots of lots of the crazy things. And it's it's a brawl again. Just it's pretty fun. It sounds fun. Awesome. Well, I look forward to uh, playing both those games as well as the spaces key challenge levels. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, speaking with me today. Yes, thank you for having me on. Um, love, love, uh, love the podcast before. I've listened to the other two and really honored to be on here. If you've made it this far, then you owe it to yourself to buy a copy of Spaces Key on the mobile device you are undoubtedly listening to this podcast on. To hear about Chris's upcoming games, you can follow him on Twitter at ChrisJeffGames. The Game Dev Life Podcast is brought to you by Quarter Spiral, currently developing Enhanced Wars, a multiplayer-first turn-based strategy game for PC, Mac, Linux, and web browser. Enhanced Wars is coming to Kickstarter in the fall of this year. For the latest on Enhanced Wars, as well as future podcasts and other Quarter Spiral news, follow us at Quarter Spiral on Twitter and check out our website, quarterspiral.com.